Good evening, everybody. Uh, this is Patrick from the Poison Pen Bookstore in Scottsdale, Arizona. Off to a flustered start, apparently. Um, but it is always a treat and a privilege to welcome our good friend, S.J. Roseanne. Um, we were just talking about designs on how to get her back out here to the Southwest, which would be awesome. Uh, Shira has a brand new book called The Mayors of New York. We all have copies. And uh, Shira has signed a batch for us, as always. And we just got them today. I'll put a link in the comments field if you'd like to purchase one. Uh, and if you have questions, go ahead and put those in. And Barbara should bring you back online towards the end of the hour. And I would be happy to ask any questions that you might have. So Barbara, over to you. Thank you very much, Patrick. I hope you all observe that Shira is actually dressed to match your book cover. <laughs> I'm very yeah. impressed. I am, I am I am a fashion plate, a well-known fashion plate. Well, nonetheless, I think it's very clever of you to have done that. So um, I was asking Shira about what her other projects are, and we'll get to that towards the end because it might, in fact, sorry, I've got this piece of hair driving me nuts. Um, I know when you're looking at Zoom, it's like looking into a mirror, right? So, you know, in a live event, you don't have any idea. <laughs> if everything is falling apart, but staring at a Zoom screen, there you are going with my hair. Um, anyway, um, I have hopes that she might come and see us in a new collaborative venture. Do you also know that Left Coast Crime is meeting in Seattle April 10th through the 14th? I do, and I will be there. And so, therefore, it's not that difficult to come down the coast, right? And the book comes out in April. You're not really on the coast, Barbara. Um. Well, <laughs> and nonetheless, from New York, getting to Phoenix from Seattle is a far easier proposition. Than That's from true. I going down that, that direction. I know. That. I'm looking forward to Left Coast Crime. For those of you who are watching this who have never been to a crime conference, I can really make a try it again. Recommend Left Coast. It's smaller than the big one called BoucherCon, which this year will be meeting in Nashville um, right before Labor Day weekend. But Left Coast is about a third or even a quarter of that size. And um, you know, so you it's more intimate. You can spend more time with authors. You don't have to wander long corridors and all the rest of it. Here's another rule, Sherry, you've probably noticed this too. The first one or two persons that you see at a conference, you see them every time you turn around. Yes. It, it, it's an absolute rule. The, you know, you run into somebody and then that's the person that you constantly see, whereas other people that you're actually looking for remain invisible. And that's whether you knew them or not. If you knew them, it's like, oh, Barbara. And then every time you turn around, it's Barbara. If you didn't know them, it's, hi, I'm so-and-so. And then there's yep. so-and-so at every room, at every dinner. It's, it's yeah, it's magical. But Left Coast is a great convention. I recommend it too. I, I, um, I've enjoyed it every time I've, I've gone. Um, yeah, and well, I really love it. And um, I, I'm going to be interested to see Seattle without the um, freeway going along the... Um, Bayfront, so it'll look a lot different. Um, I will be interviewing the guest of honor, Bob Dugoni, uh, mm -hmm. with his publisher, Gracie, who is a dear friend, and so that'll make it lots of fun. Anyway, why don't we talk about the Mirrors of New York? Now, you will notice that this one says a Bill Smith, well, you can't really see it, but way at the bottom, it says a Bill Smith, Lydia Chin mystery. Um, but this reminds me that um, in the TikTok back and forth, that this series has, it's a hallmark of this series. It's Lydia, who's the lead, and then it's Bill, that's the lead, and Lydia. So Lydia was the last lead, and we spent some time, that was the book we spent time in Chinatown, right? 
Yeah, yeah, that was the developers, uh, evil developers, and you know, yes. which are evil by definition, yes. <laughs> always <laughs> evil. Um, and so it's Bill's turn. Um, and therefore it's it's a different book. It's a different um it's a different voice. Uh, oftentimes Bill's books, well, because they're from a male perspective, I think are I think they're harder, you know. Um Lydia's softer in the way she goes about things, whereas Bill is more, you know brash does he still smoke he still smokes doesn't he he does still smoke although in this book he's smoking a lot less um i haven't gotten to the book where he gives it up which will make him very very grumpy and he may have to do that in the next bill smith book um uh, I, he may do it in the next lydia chin book i don't know but i would rather do it in a book from his point of view sure. so he can describe how how crabby he's getting and how much he hates everybody and and right. cigarette and that kind of thing i but, know it's a terrible thing to give up my mother smoked until she died at, at 94 or whatever it was and was one of those fortunate people that never had any you know lung issues or whatever but yeah. most people are not most people do not that lucky right so this one we're in january just adding to the hard edge january in new york city is not it's not june in new york city or may or whatever it's a hard time and the city is inaugurating its first female mayor. Is that true? There never been a female air, mayor? Never been, never been a female mayor. I, I actually looked it up because I couldn't believe it either. Um, and I thought, well, there must have been somebody, you know, a lieutenant mayor filling in when a mayor died or something. Never, never. So That's so interesting because Kathy, you know, Kathy, I'm never sure how to pronounce her name. Is it Hopel? Hochul, yeah. Hochul is the governor of New York, and I don't know, have there been other female governors, or is she the first one? She's the first, and she inherited it um, when uh, Cuomo resigned, so that's right. Um, she There's never been an elected governor, and uh, this uh, mayor in my book uh, is the first elected female mayor. There's never been a really serious female candidate. Uh, the way New York works, because it's such a democratic city, there's almost never, not never, but almost never a Republican elected. And the Democrat who runs will have been chosen in the primary. So it's really the Democratic primary that is the- um, The election. election. Yeah. And there have been female <laughs> candidates in that, but once that's over, uh, the Democratic candidates and the Republican candidates have always been men. Um, so, but you know, let's go all the way back to Tammany Hall. Was Tammany Hall? Would you have described it as Democratic, or would you have described it in today's terms as Republican? In well, I would. They, they it was, it was so entirely corrupt. Yes, that there really wasn't a party affiliation of today that. I mean, they were they were all in it for for what they could get out of it. Um, there was no ideology at all. So, um, I you know I I I might have called it um, um, MAGA Republicans. I wouldn't call it Republicans right. because Republicans, actual Republicans, of whom there are fewer and fewer, have an ideology. Right. Tammany Hall guys had had none. They just they just, you know, their ideology is what, what can you do for me and what can I do for you to make you do that for me? So, right. 
Mega, as you said. I grew up in Chicago, and so my childhood was dominated by the Mayor Daly machine, the first Mayor Daly machine. Um, and, you know, and it was the Democratic machine, which um, probably brought us JFK as president, all things considered. Um, and so the Republicans were like downstate. They, they were down in Springfield, and the Democrats ruled Chicago and Cook County, which, of course, was big enough to kind of determine things. But I, I'm not particularly familiar with New York politics. I will say that there was a Boucher Khan, speaking of Boucher Khan, in Albany some time ago, and I was not enamored with Albany. I, it, there's no reason to be enamored with Albany. Everything good about Albany um, is what's left, uh, which it just, Albany was kind of clear cut for the, um, for that big, the, the the state offices and right. the egg and and all of that and those places are occupied only when you know when when uh, the senate's in session and the and the and the uh, the state house and then you know the governor lives up there and but it's albany is there's really nothing else in albany but the the state government um i was not enamored of it either new york city is a whole other thing and why Albany and not New York City is the capital of the state is is a you know complicated issue that goes back to uh, to uh, you know the seventeen hundreds. But um, the New York City is different. But New York City politics, as opposed to the Daily Machine that that you guys had in Chicago, we never had a, a machine that could just run all over the the whole city. Um, but we. Yeah, the, the the boroughs, the five boroughs, which would be um, counties, in any, and in fact are counties, but um, are also boroughs. Each one of them kind of governs itself. Now, New York is is really um, governed. I mean, the whole point of, of of the book is of my book is that New York is is actually governed in in tiny little pieces. Um, it's it's really too. I had a friend who said New York is too big to govern. That's not really true, but it's too unruly. It's it's New York. New Yorkers will not. New Yorkers will only pull together if there's a snowstorm or you know a 9/11 or you know if there's a, a a missing kid or something, but not politically. There's no possible way. And so to to get anything done, you have to really work on the micro level. Uh, um, and you know, then and and the mayors, although the mayors, the, the real mayors, the elected mayors, have historically, except for a couple, been Democrats. It doesn't mean they are, uh, as far as my politics are concerned, the progressive left good guys. They're just Democrats, um, and they are some of them really good, and some of them. Um, the current mayor, Eric Adams, is, you know, corruption is his middle name. Um, or not not even corruption as much as uh, it's nepotism or, or friendly nepotism, you know, that is his friends get all the jobs. Um, New York has been governed like that before, uh, will no doubt be governed like that again. And uh, meanwhile, the city goes on. Because oh, it does. Um, and I, I brought up all this stuff because, indeed, um, this particular book, notice the title, The Mayors, plural, Mayors of New York, 
uh, it's all relevant to that. And you need to know what Shira was just saying in order to make any sense out of the title. So before we go any further, I should probably give you a brief bio here. She has won multiple awards for her fiction. Now check this, including the Edgar, the Seamus, the Anthony, the Neuro, the McCavity, the Japanese Maltese Falcon, and the Private Eye Writers of America Lifetime Achievement Award. This is a woman who could just bang up a whole wall of plaques behind her. It's amazing. She was born and raised in the Bronx, which is one part of New York, and now lives in lower Manhattan. Um, and she's very kindly gone up uptown to the Simon & Schuster office building to <laughs> sign her new book for us. But And Shira, when I first met her, uh, was still a practicing architect, right? You were writing. Um, yep. And so, so, you know, because of that, I think you've always had a great interest in um you know, developers in, in the physical city of New York. In fact, a really great Bill Smith was when he, you know, took on a role as a bricklayer in order to solve something. And you had pages about, you know, the right way to lay a brick, which I would normally have ever either read or cared about, but it was part of the story. So it was kind of fun. He had to show that level of craftsmanship that medieval craftsmen showed, you know, to um, take great pride in their in their stonework. Which is why I say a Bill Smith book is a lot different as a rule than a Lydia Chin book, because hers are more more about people and relationships, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they are. His his are um, darker. They tend he's he's more short tempered with people. He's he knows a lot more about. He speaks more languages than she does. He knows a lot more about art. He knows a lot about the city. Mm -hmm. uh, but he is not as forgiving of of people and and the way they um, mess with other people. Really, uh, it's a it's a whole different approach. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really interesting, and you've traveled them some. A few of the books take place outside New York. Um, yeah. Once in China, um, and you know when you came back after an absence with this series. I think they were in Mississippi, which was a fascinating book. I had no idea there were a Chinese community in Mississippi. I didn't, I didn't either until I found out. And the minute I found out, I thought, this is this is a book for me. This Absolutely. is handed down from the heavens for, for me to write. And so um, I, I went about it. Um, do you know Eric Stone? Barbara, he's he he had some books and and uh, he stopped writing. He's now doing exclusively. The name is Samir. Do I know him personally? No. Okay. Well, he um, moved down there, um, and he uh, invited me to come down. And he said, Ace Atkins is coming over from Oxford, and we're going to spend the weekend, you know, hanging out. So come on down. And my first thought was, I should come down to the Mississippi Delta. Yeah. But my second thought was, if I ever did want to see the Mississippi Delta, to see it with Eric and Ace Atkins would be the way to see it. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, booked my flight to Memphis and he picked me up and I spent the weekend with those two guys. And that's when I learned about the Chinese community down there, the Mississippi Chinese. Um, and it's when I learned most of what I learned about the Delta. I went down a couple more times. Yeah. But I, I love, I mean, it's, it's a, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but I love places. I love the difference among places. I love getting to understand what 
is really the, 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 the heart and soul of a place. That's how I felt about going to the Delta, although I, I certainly wouldn't say I know the heart and soul of Mississippi, but that part of the Delta, I, I, think, I think I got close to. And that's how I feel about New York. I, every time I go to Queens, to, there's a huge Hindu temple in Queens I take people to see. I'm leading a tour of the Bronx on Friday for some friends. I love this. I love to, you know, show off the the um, Ben Sean murals in the WPA post office in the Bronx. You know, who knew um, until you know. I love that kind of thing. So this book in particular gave me a chance to go to each um, borough and and come up with something that people don't know. And I just love it. It's like well, being, it is I, fun. It's always been one of the treats of reading your books, you know, is to discover these things that you have discovered and then tell us about. Um, I'm trying to remember, have you gone to China more than once? I know there was the one, but have there been others? There was one that took place in Hong Kong. Right. And there was one that a lot of the book took place in Shanghai, but right. Lydia didn't go there. It was just the, from the past. Um, that's it. For that, I would love to send them to Singapore. Um, I would love to send them to modern day Shanghai. Uh, you know, I I would love to send them send them translates into I would love to go back to, but um, I I haven't done that yet. Um, there are some places I would love to go to that I can find absolutely no excuse to send them to whatsoever. <laughs> um, That's really too bad. Actually, your book about Shanghai was. Um a revelation about the number of German Jews who were actually accepted into Shanghai, which of course eventually put them in more peril because of the Japanese, but who knew that, uh, when they were being rejected from everywhere else. And I thought it was a, a really moving book in some World War II history that is not often highlighted. Yeah, that was another thing that um, I, I had known about that community just kind of vaguely in the back of my mind. Right. And I found a book that I thought, oh, this looks interesting, you know, about that community. And I read it and I thought, wait a minute, there's a Lydia book in here someplace. Um, it's hard because, uh, you know, to get, to get the, to get a way to, to make right. it a case. So it, it stewed for a while, but that was another one of those things I thought people don't know about this. Like, that was how I felt when I discovered the Mississippi Chinese. People don't know about this, and they really should. Um, right. It would it would it would interest people. It would um, enlarge people's view of of what went on. Yeah. Um, and you know, so that was that was what uh, inspired that book. And when I, and when I finally found the the thing, the Shanghai Moon itself, the the gem, I thought, this you know. Here, here I go. <laughs> there you are, right. Singapore would be fascinating. I'm actually hoping to do a trip across Northern Australia to Singapore or the reverse, because in part, I've never been to Singapore. And of course, I still have this kind of, you know, colonial view of raffles and all the rest of it. None of that's true anymore. None we were it. in Shanghai um, and China in 1997, which was, you know, right before the handover. So the British had largely left. But the Chinese, the kind Chinese communists hadn't really come in yet, right. and um, and there was even in Macau, it was still Portuguese, yeah. and so it still felt you know a lot like that. I've never really, in many ways, wanted to go back because I sort of like remembering it like that, 
Yeah, yeah. It. Um, I, I have been back uh, to Hong Kong and in some sense it hasn't changed and in some sense it's changed tremendously. Yeah. Singapore, I was never in until it was the modern Singapore. Right. Um, the ancient, you know, those, those uh, it, it, the old books and 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 uh and songs and stories make it seem like a city of back alleys that's all that's there um now it's it's the 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 cleanest shiniest place you can imagine i well the first time i was there i was in a hotel room where the the safe didn't work and so i um went down to the desk and i asked if i could leave my laptop in uh the safe at the reception desk and the guy said, no, you can just leave it in your room. I said, no, but the safe in my room doesn't work. And he said, madam, you are in Singapore. You can leave it in your room. And I thought, whoa, okay then, you know? And I left it in my room and nobody bothered it. And it, um, it, it, was, it didn't used to be like that. Um, I, and it's, it's really, it's a very, very interesting place for that reason in a lot of ways. And that is something else that I would like to show people is that the Singapore of raffles and, and, and the city of back alleys no longer exists. But what does exist is a really interesting part, um, everybody takes care of everybody, part repressive government, part multicultural, part, we don't talk about being multicultural because then people, get irritated at each other for being from a dis different culture. It's very, very interesting. It and does sound fascinating, you know, and I, I'm pretty sure that Macau looks just like Las Vegas, only with taller buildings. And, you know, that's the reason that I'm, because, I mean, yeah. you know, we were visiting temples. We had lunch at an old Portuguese restaurant. It's the first time I ever drank vino verde. Was oh, really? it, oh, you know, people go, really? <laughs> yeah, but all true. Anyway, um, but but that's why I love your books, your Lydia and Bill books, is because the cities and the locations are always so, you know, they're just pulsing with life and so important. Your acre-winning book, though, took Bill to a college. Well, high school. The high school. Was it, oh, it's a high school. Well, yeah, it was a campus because there were football was involved and all the rest of it. Uh, um, that, right. That, it was a high school. I'd completely forgotten that. I was thinking it was a college. But anyway, um, and in its own way, even even a campus is a bit like a city. You know, you've got oh, the same dynamic going on um, on the as you do probably you know back in New York. So yeah, uh, that. Book, the, the the geographical uh, distribution of that book was New Jersey, Manhattan, Long Island, Manhattan, New Jersey, Manhattan. Right. That was it. You know? um, but yeah, it was um, a a high school is very like a city. It's mm -hmm. it's it's teeming and moving all the time. The power dynamics keep changing. Mm -hmm. There is a power structure, which is the administration and the teachers, but that's not really who runs the place. That's it, right. Kids. And and the kids um, keep rearranging themselves, and in some places like the one I was talking about, a particular group of kids are in charge. And in that case, it was the football players, which right. often happens. Um, but there are most New York City high schools don't have football teams because they don't have football fields. That's a lot of real estate, and and uh, New York is all about real estate, and that's too much to give to a a game that's played you know, uh, 15 Sundays a year kind of thing. 
but the athletes can still in some places dominate they're the basketball players sometimes it's the track team but some it's it's often athletes in some schools it's the theater nerds who are absolutely in charge if the theater kids say this is what we do this is what we do and so in that in that sense it is very like a city yeah Absolutely. And shifting power dynamics, of course, are ideal for a crime writer because they produce conflict and conflict is what drives, you know, plots and crime novels and makes people want to kill each other. So um, anyway, here's Bill. And we see Bill in an interesting role because a woman that he used to have, uh, well, he was hooked up with anyway, to put it gently, um, is back in his life and he has absolutely no use for her. He thinks, you know, um, she's a liar. He doesn't trust her. And she has come to him from a position of some power, which is what? She is the uh, personal assistant, the, the head aide, whatever they call them, to the mayor, to mm -hmm. this female mayor. Uh, she is the person you have to go through to get to the mayor. She's been working for the mayor since uh, this woman who is now mayor was a council member. And she is the one what what's happened at the beginning of the book is or before the book begins is the mayor's son has run away from home 15 year old son and the mayor is involved in this peculiar uh thing that actually happens in new york where she is involved in the contract salary negotiations uh with the what's called the um uh it's the sergeant's uh, union, the police department sergeant's union, but the way the law works in New York, there's parity, there's certain parities and, and, and uh, uh, relationships among the sergeants, the police officers, that is the, the uniformed officers, the, um, I guess it's the lieutenant's union that she's involved with. So the lieutenants, the sergeants, the uniformed officers, the firefighters, the sanitation, all of the public, what, once you make a deal with one, they all fall like dominoes. And so she's being a real hard ass trying to save the city money with the, uh, with the union she's negotiating with. And so she doesn't want to bring the police in when her son runs away because you can't really be a hard ass with the people who are working overtime trying to find your missing son and you know they would i mean they would go all they'd say Ooh, this is delicious and they'd go all out they would they would put everybody on alert everybody on overtime they'd be and so she doesn't want to do that because that would be political suicide really um so she hires a private detective and her aide says i know just the guy um and that's how bill and lydia get involved and Bill, you're right, has no use for her. Uh, but as he says in the beginning, he ran away half a dozen times before he was 15. So he gets it about the kid and he, he thinks any 15 year old kid on his own in New York is, is in a bad situation, um, is, is vulnerable and, and could be in bad trouble and and it would be good to know why the kid ran away. I mean, he is the son of the mayor. He could effectively have anything he wants. He, but what he wants is to run away. So um, Bill agrees to take the case. And that's, that's how it starts. He does. And it's interesting that he takes the case, but he doesn't, you know, like the person he's working for. So there's a source of conflict. 
And then, you know, he and Lydia are partners. And so usually one of them is leading and the other is, you know, support staff, so to speak. But Lydia has her own skill set that she has to bring to this. Um, and especially in the end, which is pretty complicated and slam bang, Lydia, Lydia has to take off her high heels, <laughs> although she could weaponize them. Um, and so, you know, she's always a, a powerful player. When she leaves, she often has to kind of smooth down Bill, you know, um, so that there aren't too many rough edges that that go on. So the kids run away, but he is not the only child of the mayor. No, he has a twin sister and the twin sister is a piece of work. Mm -hmm. And she um, doesn't know where he went. She affects to not care because she never liked him anyway. Um, and she is way, she's in way over her head in something, uh, but she doesn't know it. She, she thinks she's got everything under control. And, um, there are a number of scenes with her in, in early on and then, and then later. And she's in that slam bang ending. Right. Well, she's a kid that, you know, has a lot of hubris and, um, really takes advantage of her mother's role. Yeah. Um, and and I, I thought it was interesting because it probably is almost impossible for kids whose parents amass a degree of power and so forth to not react to that or maybe not start utilizing it. Because, you know, as you just said, high school is a jungle. I mean, yeah. it really is, you know, and, and to be the apex predator, so to speak, you need to collect everything that you can to kind of bolster it up. So if you're the daughter of the mayor, you have got um, a lot of, you know, power that you wouldn't have if you were just an ordinary kid or, you know, your father was, you know, maybe a police sergeant or a firefighter or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, you yeah. know, I, I found that really, did you make them twins on purpose to, you know, make, make that dynamic I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say here, but the fact that they're twins makes the dynamic more interesting when she is so using the power and the kid is running, the brother is running away, which is kind of a gender reversal anyway. Yeah, one, you know, I, I made them twins because I spent a, a certain amount of time as I was kind of planning the book. And, you know, I don't, I don't make an outline. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I have to have a reason for things to happen in the beginning. And I was trying to decide which of the two kids should be older. And I didn't like it either way. Um, and I thought, well, you know, if, if, if it's not working either way, then, then they need to be the same age. Right. And then I thought the great thing about having them the same age is that they could be, they, they grew up together uh, with no obvious power dynamic between them but they can be as different as humanly possible mm -hmm. coming from the same family. And that would be interesting to me. So although the brother is an actor, he's also almost pathologically shy when he's not on stage, as, as some actors I know are. The, the daughter is um, his sister, is nothing in particular in terms of, of uh, academics or, or artistic, whatever, but she is an apex predator. 
she is at the top of of every group she she meets um and she um i don't know that it's it probably isn't giving anything away to 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 tell folks that um what the in in the middle of her mother's inauguration um she called a uh, press conference, the daughter did, the 15-year-old, called a press conference to denounce the city of New York for its inability to uh, work on any really useful uh, climate change initiatives, and she hoped the new administration would do better. And yes. and this attempt to upstage her mother, um, I, I just, I, I kind of loved it. Um, and I, I have to say that that uh, in a much more clear and obnoxious way, but that's because the kid was younger, um, uh, she, that idea of upstaging at the inauguration was based on uh, the Giuliani kid, the, the boy, who did that when, when uh, Rudy Giuliani was being sworn in as mayor of New York before he completely lost his mind, um, right. his son, who was nine at the time, was so obnoxious up there on the podium that he completely stole the spotlight. He just practically had a, uh, a, a fit there. I mean, he was just almost to a tantrum and he had his fingers in his nose and stuff. And that was what you saw on the news. And I thought, okay, he was nine. It was a hard day, you know, but what if the kid were older and doing it on purpose, you know? Um, I would like to see that. And so, um, and it, it, that had to be the daughter. It couldn't really be the son because it would be a much too aggressive move from a boy. Mm. So I thought I would rather have the son run away, the son be the one who ran away anyway, because Bill would identify. You right. Know. No, it'd be harder for Bill to chase the daughter with success. I agree with you that, you know, it made more sense for it to be, um, to be a boy um yeah. and also the girl you know that gives you a chance to explore some mother daughter stuff but the girl is clearly going to try to you know veer off into the progressive side i mean she wants to be like aoc and you know lots of attention lots of whatever it is even if she doesn't necessarily believe it yeah and 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 in this case i think she she didn't necessarily believe it she just knew it would play real well at a press conference Right. Um, and 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 that would be her because her mother is basically progressive um, her politics. Yeah. You could see that. And so she had to go way farther left. Uh, and and there, there was no reason to have a press conference that day denouncing what was effectively the past um, because she she had to end up saying she hoped the new administration would do better because it was the first day of the new administration. So it was clearly a um, to her mother, and uh, I was I was <laughs> I was impressed. Well, you thought it up, so there we are. Now That's I think it was a real power play, um, and you know it kind of set a tone for how she was going to treat the entire time that her mom is the mayor. So where's the dad on all this? We've got the mom, we've got the twins, one of whom's disappeared and one of whom is calling press conferences, but where's the dad? Well, they, they, they are divorced, um, the mayor and her husband. He is a high-powered attorney 
uh, who mostly mostly corporate or, or um, uh, divorces in very high power divorces and stuff. Uh, he's a little bit of a um, of a uh, name client chaser. A lot of lawyers mm -hmm. are, and uh, he is. Uh, he also he still lives in New York, and he is beloved of the daughter. She she loves daddy, and uh, he doesn't particularly like the son, and this has been true since they were young, um, and he hates his wife at this point. Uh, she does not think very much more of him either, and he finds his way into the book. Yes, he does. No, he was bound to find his way into the book. Right. So basically, the son disappears, and that is the case that Bill is called in to, to work, Lydia therefore coming with him. Um, but there's much more to unfold, most of which we can't really talk about, but it isn't, it isn't really an entirely missing person's case. At all. Yeah. So, do you think that a that a crime novel has to have a murder, has to have a death in it? I don't. Um, but if you don't have a death, you have to have an urgent reason for the sense of urgency that propels a novel. A novel is not propulsive unless something serious has happened right. that a high stake thing you know it has to yeah. be I agree yeah. but it and doesn't necessarily have to be a murder it could be for example yeah. a missing child yes yes a missing child in which the case is finally resolved with the missing child being found or not found or that is found or found alive or found not alive but but right. in the end the missing child would have to be found and whatever happened would have to be uh, tied up now in in this book um, there there is a death but it's um, it's that's not what starts the book off right and in, in, in a lot of it, it's funny because um, I you know I teach and a lot of my students new students will say don't I have to have a body like on the first page and the answer is no you have to have a reason on the first page for people to go to the second page sometimes right. A dead body will do that because then you're you're kind of hooked into well what is going on here, but the idea that you have to have a body at all, uh, much less on the first page, is a really um, kind of low rent interpretation of the genre. Well, I agree. I mean, I think there are lots of good mysteries, especially golden age mysteries, where you have other crimes going on. You know, you have embezzlement, you have theft. You know, you have um, Missing children, whatever it all is, um, and and I really, I get kind of tired of the idea that every every crime novel I pick up has to be a murder mystery because you know that's not even realistic if you think about it. You know, even in New York. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we would we would depopulate the city if yeah. if, uh, if if the books and the TV shows in which people died in New York were all realistic. Um, we. <laughs> We would have half the population we have now and many, 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 many more cops. And they'd all be honest, all the cops. 
Well, there's that too. But I mean, arson, I think, for example, is a crime that, you know, where people don't actually have to die, buildings die or other things, but, you know, and there's a pathology there. So there are all kinds of, you know, spy novels turn upon not so much death, but on betrayal and, you know, other kinds of things. Um, there used to be some interesting financial thrillers. They've kind of died out at the moment. Um, and, you know, there are heist novels, which I love. Um, yeah. Jake Lindsay has a new heist novel, which is, I hope, has shown up at the store. It should have shipped in. And, you know, he's got his, his guy, Riley Wolf, in London, who's kind of met some woman that he wants to hook up with. And so he needs to spend some time. So he thinks about, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just snag the Rosetta Stone and, you know, move <laughs> it away. Um, and, yeah. you know, that's... That that's a great plot. You know, I'm happy with that. And nobody actually needs to die, you know, to either he'll steal the Rosetta Stone or he won't or, you know, whatever else will happen. John Stafford told me a hilarious story. He had a Lucas Davenport in which he had this great idea that um, Lucas was going to be in London and somehow or other it was going to, there was going to be a bad guy who was going to make off with the of the Parthenon marbles, you know, the famous Elgin marble, Elgin marbles. And that was going to set all kinds of things in motion. And he had it all worked out about, you know, the Elgin marbles. Thing. And then suddenly he, you know, ran up against the fact that there, they weighed tons and there was really no way that, you know, there was going to be like, a way not to like transport them. them right out of, out of the museum and like into a waiting aircraft and the whole thing fell apart, you know? So the Rosetta Stone is a more realistic goal, I think, for somebody yeah. that wants to liberate a colonial treasure from the British Museum. I really love it. But, you know, I, I like the, the idea that, you know, that, Crime fiction is such a broad umbrella. And, you know, I'm, I always want to encourage people to write crime novels that are not murder mysteries, but in fact have other sorts of things that go on. I, well, I, I'll take that under advisement. The one well, of but you're, you're really good at that, even if people die. You know, your, your novels are generally powered by other sorts of things as well. You know, they're not just straight murder investigations. You know, yeah. you, bring in, you bring in all kinds of other, I think, fascinating stuff. So are you a fond researcher? Do you really enjoy research? I love it. I love research. I, you know, I could do that all day and never write anything. I, I go down rabbit holes. I, I've been going down rabbit holes since before they were called rabbit holes. I, I right. love finding stuff out and and searching for stuff and finding all these new facts. I, I just... um. I, I, should, should I tell you a fact that I, that I found out and may not be able to use? I, I used a tiny bit of it in, in, in the, the book we were talking about before, sure. not the mayor's, but um, there, I, I needed in this book I was writing, I, I had these people in London in 1924 going to the movies. So I needed a movie theater. I needed to know what movie theaters there were. And I started looking up what movie theaters there were. Uh, in, in there happens to be a website of... Um, movie theaters in London in the 20s. So I found really? one and I, yeah. And I thought, oh, this would be an interesting movie theater. Maybe I'll use this one, but I wanted to read the, uh, re read about it. It turned out that movie theater was owned by a man named Ben Hur, who was the strongest man in the world. That's why he named himself that. Uh, but he had, he changed his name legally by deed poll um, uh, from uh, Henry Ben Solomon. He was a Jew. 
he was a guy who whose father worked in the market and the reason he got to be ben Hur is because there was this bully in the market who kept you know it was basically a protection racket you know right. i'll turn over your, your thing and the market guys all decided that got together and decided that the next guy he bullied was going to challenge him to a fight and beat the crap out of him but the next guy he bullied was henry ben solomon's father who was too old to do that so ben solomon said i'll do it and they fought and in those days fights were a little different boxing fights right. but they fought 75 rounds and finally henry ben solomon knocked this big glump out and decided he was the strongest man in the world and called himself ben-hur and changed his name by deed poll and then as he you know he, he did actually a circus act for a while and as he collected money he started buying movie theaters and that's who owned this movie theater and by the time i was through with that i thought i don't care about this movie theater anymore except that that's what i needed in the book right but i thought this is the greatest rabbit hole i ever found henry ben solomon you know so that was um that was my my you know i love that stuff love it i know it's absolutely fascinating and you've made you know great use of it in fact your first book with livia one of the reasons i loved it was i didn't know all that much well i did know actually but i really loved the whole chinese porcelain thing that you know it was chinese porcelain what was the name of it china trade china trade that's it and i was hooked because i've always been fascinated with um, pottery and porcelain. I've been all over the world to look at it. And, you know, and I thought, okay, here's an author who's going to write, you know, a good mystery and interesting characters, but she's also going to write about, you know, Chinese porcelain. Hooray. And you've been, you've been great about doing that. You know, almost all of your books, you do put your, you know, interesting stuff you find um, into them and make them a richer reading experience, therefore, for you know, the author. So we need to call Patrick up, but tell us quickly what your April book, What because you have a new thing happening. I have a new thing happening. I have a book coming out in April. Uh, it's it's the start of a new series. It's a, a co-written series. The book is called The Murder of Mr. Ma. It takes place in London in 1924. There are two investigators. One is Judge D, uh, the Chinese, the famous Judge D, who lived in China. He was a real guy. He lived in China in the Tang Dynasty. So we moved him forward a thousand years, the way people are always moving Sherlock Holmes around. And then we gave him a Watson, because he will be the Holmes character, uh, in the form of a Chinese writer named Lao She, who was a real guy also, and actually was in London in 1924. Uh, he was a, a young guy. He was 22. He was a novelist. He was teaching. And so they meet each other and uh, go through London. They 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 are are they've come actually. D has come only to um, take home the body of this man who's been killed, but he knew the man, and so he thinks that the murder won't really be investigated by the British cops. So he starts investigating it himself, and all kinds of other stuff happens. But the best part about this book besides that I'm writing it with, with a co-writer who is terrific, his name is John Nee, uh, is that uh, we needed a, a Kung Fu consultant because there's a lot of, this is, this is a, uh, um, basically a, a, you know, Kung Fu movie in, in a book. So there's a lot of Kung Fu scenes and I don't know Kung Fu. Um, so we got ourselves a Kung Fu consultant 
a guy named uh, Master Paul Coe, who, yes, indeed, he has a studio in downtown New York, um, and he, he choreographs the Kung Fu scenes for us, and he is a riot. Um, he, his, his writing of these scenes, and I can't use half the stuff that he sends us because he's in the head of every character and I have to, you know, stick to Lao Shea's voice, but he is hilarious. Um, so that's, if you, if you uh, can wait till April for the murder of Mr. Ma, you get to see, you, you get me, John Nee, and, um, and the great Paul Cole. Oh, I'm delighted to hear that. I think I have a copy of it. I'm looking over there at my arc shelf. I'm pretty sure that it has already arrived. And yes. um, I'm trying to persuade Shira to, as she pointed out, we're not on the coast, but come south from Seattle <laughs> and, and visit us because we haven't seen her for too long. So that'd be absolutely wonderful. And then next up for Bill and Lydia will be a Lydia-driven novel. Yeah. So I haven't mentioned that over the course of the thing, they started out just as colleagues, but gradually they have become closer. And that was a long and somewhat agonizing decision for you, wasn't it, about whether they would actually become lovers or whether they would, because Lydia's mother really has very little use for Bill. Um, well, more so now, more so now. But, you know, the Mississippi book was actually a big step forward for Lydia's mother and Bill, wasn't it? It was, yeah, because... Um that in that book, uh, Lydia's mother sends Lydia to Mississippi to solve, right. solve a case that involves family. And she says, take the gorilla along with you, the baboon. Um, don't, don't go alone. He has to go with you. And Lydia's like, you want me to go away with him? <laughs> and her mother says, you, you, you'll need help or, or something. So, right. Yeah, so that was a major thing, and then uh, since then they've they've Bill and Lydia have become closer. But yeah, it was um, it was so clear to me that it needed to happen eventually. But I, I, I was um, it it made me nervous because I've seen it happen in other other series, and it kind of ruined things. Um, and and yet it was so obvious that that they couldn't go on like that. Right. Um, so I thought, all right, let me, let me try it. Why, you know, why, why just because a couple of times I've seen it not work, that doesn't mean it won't work for me. So well, that's entirely right. You're, you know, you're a different writer than where it doesn't work. And I think it's worked out really well. Like you, I thought, you know, surely this can't go on. Um, and so I think, I think it's been, very good. But anyway, I will look forward to seeing what Lydia is up to. And Lydia Lydia works with New York power structures in a somewhat different way, because very often she's looking at it through the Chinese community. Um, and um, I'm going to give a little shout out to a woman named Rosemary Simpson, who has written, um, I'll send you the name of it because I'm having a blank, but Patrick can probably look it up. Um, she's a century before you. But she has a Chinese diplomat and his family arrive in London to take up a post in New York and Chinese people murder him as he's arriving. And then the book is a large part to do with the dynamics of the Gilded Age Chinese community in New York when uh, China still had its, um, you know, empress and whatever. And so it's... Um, I thought about it. It's, it's a great pairing with the Lydia Chin, you know, because it's um, 
there's similarities and differences, but I think that, you know, the it's a great look across over a century at how this community is working in New York um, and what it was like for the Chinese to be immigrants. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to read that. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll send you the title. It just came out and um, I thought it was really very, very well done. She too is an absolutely avid researcher. You know, she loves doing all that. So I'm, I'm, fairly confident that the historical background and so forth, you know, has been very well done. Patrick, are you there? What is the name of Rosemary's book? Can you? Yeah, it's A Murder Wears a Hidden Face. That's it. Right. So just out last week, and I really recommend it um, to you, but to anybody who's interested in, um, you know, Chinese communities anywhere. I mean, if you're a Lisa C. reader, you know, it doesn't have to be a murder mystery. So anyway, do we have questions from the audience, Patrick? There are a few. Um, let's see. Marjorie asks, looking back, how do you feel now about the great hiatus, meaning the years long break you took between the Lydia books? Did the pause end up being a good thing? I think it did. I think it, it enabled me to um, kind of re to to. to, to sort of like like when you when your your heart isn't working right and you shock it you know and you get back in in order uh, it, it enabled me to get into a different order with with these books in in terms of of, uh, of my head so I think it, it ended up being a good thing I think these the f uh, four books that I've written since then um, uh, are are as creative as the early ones and that's what I was worried about is that you know and I think a lot of series writers are worried about that that you get to yeah. book 10 or 11 and and you kind of run out of gas right and, what new and, thing do you have to say yeah. yeah and then you know I so I was I was I, I wouldn't have said I was done but I felt a little done until I found the story for Paper Sun and then I was back in gear so yeah I think it was a good thing in the end um, let's see here. Sorry if you if you mentioned this already. I was in there helping Doug, but um, how did you get involved originally in the workshop in Assisi, Italy? Uh, -huh. uh that was one of these one of the greatest things. Um, they called me, and this was this was now you know fifteen years ago. They called me and they said uh, we you were recommended to us. Uh, we do a, a workshop and and we've just begun to add uh, writers. We've always done artists and you were recommended. It turned out we had a mutual friend, the people who ran this thing, and me. And uh, we've been to your website and you know we've read a couple of your books and and we think they're great and we would love to bring you to a CC for for two weeks to teach. Um, we can't afford to pay you just to bring you over, put you up, and feed you. Would that be okay? I'm thinking, yeah, I think probably that would be okay, you know. <laughs> so that's how how it started, and um, it was great. And then they had me back, and then those original, the two founders, the original two founders, have meanwhile since died, and the son of one of them has taken over, and I am now like, you know, one of the uh, senior faculty members. I've been coming for so long, but I love it. I love it, and I would urge anyone who wants to write a book and has nothing else to do for two weeks in August. <laughs> Uh, no, July. This year it's July, late June, early July, um, to come on to one of the most beautiful places. Uh, it's a great hotel. The food is great. And, uh, you know, you'll work on your book every single day, even when you tell me you'd rather go out and, you know, survey the town. No, 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 no. 
This is St. Francis and all of his, you know, many sites. That's yeah, true. You, can, you can visit St. Francis, you know, in the morning, but you have to produce your pages. So gotcha. Um, that's really about it. There are just a lot of people, a lot of fans and people are talking about which books in the series are their favorites, which is kind of fun. Um, do you have a favorite, Shira? I don't, although I have to say that um, I have certain soft spots for certain of the books. Uh, mm -hmm. Shanghai Moon is one. I have another plan to write a huge, you know, one of these multi, multi-character, multi-generation uh, books set in that period in Shanghai, uh, 1919 to 1949, so a broader period. Because the research, you know, so much of the research I couldn't use that I, that I found for that. And um, again, uh, Paper Sun, because of, of how fascinating that story of the Chinese in Mississippi is. But, you know, my favorite is always the last one I wrote, because it's the most vivid in my mind until I start the next one. Um, so right now it's the mayors of New York, but the other books shouldn't worry because um, it was it was each of them at one point. Um, so there, there is a question, and again, you may have already addressed this, but does writing from Bill's voice versus Lydia's voice, does either one come easier to you or more naturally or? Oh, Is that's there... an interesting question. I don't think yeah. anyone ever asked that before. Um, no, they both come really easily, which um, which doesn't mean the story comes easily, but the, their commentary, the things they notice, um, the way I, when I first started writing, I was writing from Bill's point of view. And when I decided to write from Lydia's, I thought, I don't, I have no idea if this is going to work. Um, and the way I realized it was going to work is because I wrote uh, a, a scene between them and I realized the dialogue was the same. It would have come out the same from, the dialogue mm. would have come out the same from Bill's point of view. Um, so that I was in a sense right about who they were from each other's viewpoint. Um, so the, the voices both come easily, although it takes me a couple of days once I've decided to, to start, once I've done the research for a book and decided to start, it takes a couple of days to get back into that voice, get out of the other voice and back into that voice. So occupying each of their kind of heads is yeah. comfortable yeah. place. Yeah, they're, they're, they're both, they're both um, comfortable, although there are times when I just want to swat them, you know, is it, <laughs> are you, are we really doing this again? But you know, it's not me, it's them. So we are doing it. Ah, and so, you did choose after all, China Trade, the first one was a Lydia book. So yeah. however you got there, it was Lydia that actually was the first to be published. It was the first to be published. It wasn't the first to be written, but but once Concourse I... was the second one, right? Concourse Con was the Concourse, one. yeah. But but once I started with Lydia's voice, I realized this this is gonna work. It's not um it's it's it she is no less fully dimensional than he is. Uh so I and, and, you know, once she started, she wasn't going to stop. She just, you know, she was in business. So, so this has been going on practically forever, at least, you know, I've been doing this for 34 years and we've been together for a great chunk of it. So is this, a, in a sense, a sort of brigadoon in the sense that they are not really advancing in age the way you and I have? Yeah, no, they are advancing very little. It's, you know, there's only three ways to do this if you're writing a long Right, a, a long you know a series with a long life. 
there is the way that Sue Grafton did it, where every book takes place a couple of months after the one before. So eventually you're writing a historical series. Mm-hmm. There's the way that Robert Parker did it, where Spencer actually aged at the same rate as Parker. And at one point, you know, Spencer and Hawk look at each other and they say, you know, we're in our 70s. <laughs> we're really, you know, um, and, and those are, those get to be different kind of books. And that's why he invented Jesse Stone, because he, he wanted to keep that young, um, you know, private eye thing going. And then there's this other way, which is you kind of unhook them from time. They have gotten older, but only a very little. And um, some of the references from the early books you kind of hope that people forgive you when you they read them because um, right. they they no longer make sense in in terms of historical um, events. And I don't make those. Uh, I you know the, this mayor. Uh, it, I never say whom she's replacing. Um, you know who the mayor was before her. Nor does she speak about him, um, because I want people to be able to read this book over over time sure. and and so um so no bill and lydia don't don't age the way we do and um and and never will um, and her mother is immortal obviously her mother is immortal oh absolutely yes. absolutely her mother her mother was yeah. here long we know before. we know there are animals who are you know our dogs have led extraordinary lives in various books and so forth actually mike lupica and i had this discussion which is why i said brigadoon because He's he's decided that his Spencer is going to be basically Boston Brigadoon. The city has aged and all, but Spencer and all the rest of them have not. Um, because otherwise you can't really credibly have an action hero and all the rest of it. I think that readers are happy with that. They're happy if the kind of world moves forward, but everybody else is kind of, you know, as I say, in time. It's wonderful. You know, one of the things I was frustrated about while talking to you is there's no list of your previous books in this book in the front. And so I'm terrible about titles and I kept trying to look up things. I was totally frustrated. But I will say that in keeping um, with the cover, there's a beautiful red end paper in the book. Very nice book. So um, it's almost Hanukkah. So let me wish you a very happy Hanukkah. Sure. It starts on Thursday and for those of you who are celebrating Hanukkah, um, same to you. And for everybody else, enjoy all the preparations of whatever holiday you're coming to. And we will we will actually be going dark after Saturday, won't we, Patrick? After Saturday? Yeah. Saturday is our last event, except for our three discussion club parties. Um right, until January. Yeah. Ninth, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what a year. What a year. I know it has been. I think it'll be good for everybody to kind of recharge and see how it is. Anyway, um, thank you all for joining us. Don't forget, we just got our autographed copies. This is a really fun book to read. Um, And um, if you're a fan, it's a great new chapter. And if you're not a fan, you could start here and then you could go all the way back to earlier books. It doesn't really matter one way or the other. So good night, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers 
in this difficult time. Thank you.